All right, Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. Let me read this text. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven, giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he had said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and the cloud hid him from their sight. And they were looking intently up into the sky as he was going. But suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Well, this morning we are starting a new sermon series this year in the book of Acts. And I'm really excited to start this series with you. Acts is a very exciting book. It's a very dynamic book. And it's a perfect book to study for our engage theme as we're talking about giving the gospel person to person. This is a book that talks about the, the expanse and, and the, the growth of the gospel starting from when Jesus, as we saw here, first went back up into heaven. Um, and so my, my hope this morning is uh, twofold. Here's my goal. This is what I would love to see come out as a result of this sermon. Uh, number one, I'm, I'm hoping that, that we will all better understand what the main point of the book of Acts is. In other words, I want to try to show you what the overall theme and emphasis of this book is. You know, what's this book about? Maybe you're here this morning and you've never really studied the Bible and you hear we're going to do a study in Acts and you're like, what? what? Well, I don't even know what Acts is. Well, you're going to know by the end of this, hopefully. You know, what are the major themes and emphases in Acts? because I think that they're all kind of tucked into these first 11 verses. And then secondly, after that, uh, I'm hoping the other thing that will happen is that you'll be not just understanding Acts, but you'll be excited for Acts, that that you'll be pumped to study this book. It's an exciting book, and and I hope some of that will kind of infect you this morning as you get a grasp for where this book is going and that you'll want to, to go along with it. Um, and maybe you'll be so excited you'll want to join one of the Acts growth groups so that you can really dig down into it and learn, learn about this book. Um, and ultimately, I hope that we'll not only be excited to study Acts, but more importantly, we'll be excited to engage, that this will just be another stoking of that desire in our hearts to not be passive Christians but to be active, engaged Christians who are finding ways, as God gives us opportunities, to tell other people about Jesus who are in our lives who don't know Him and need to know Him. 
So let's look at Acts here, Acts chapter 1, verses 1 to 11. A few preliminary comments before we look at the major themes of Acts contained in these verses. Uh, so, so the first thing you need to know about Acts, just by way of preliminary comments, is that this book is actually volume two of a two-book series. This is the sequel. Do you see that in verse 1, where the uh, author says, In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about this, about all that Jesus had begun to do and teach. So what was the former book? What was volume one? The Gospel of Luke. That's right. So the Gospel of Luke was the first volume that Luke wrote. Acts is the second volume that that Luke wrote. Uh, He wrote the first volume about everything Jesus did, his life, his ministry, his suffering, his death at the cross, his resurrection, and then his ascension back into heaven. And Acts takes the story from there and moves it forward. And so what you have really in Acts verses 1 to 11 is kind of a recapping of where the book of Luke left off. So we're not going to do it this morning, but if you want to, go uh, read the book of Luke. Just read the last chapter, chapter 24 of Luke. And what you'll find is that that everything talked about in Luke 24 is here kind of recaptured and rehashed in verses 1 through 11. So it's kind of like if you were filming a movie and you're filming a sequel, one way to film the sequel is to start the sequel off by replaying some of the, the footage from the, the movie that just ended, and then you're remembering, oh yeah, that's, that's what happened in that movie. I remember that at the end of that. Okay, that's where we are. So that's what verses 1 to 11 are. They're a rehashing of the story of Jesus from the Gospel of Luke. Uh, as, as he says in verse 1, In my former book, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day He was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles He had chosen. So so that's what Acts is. It's it's the second volume in this series. But I believe verses 1 to 11 here in Acts are more than just a recapping of the former book. It's more than just rehearsing some of the things that happened at the end of the last book. It's more than just jogging our memory to remind us of Luke. I think in these 11 verses, Luke has very skillfully pressed into these verses the major themes that will unfold in the book of Acts. I think Luke has has sort of cleverly packed into these themes and uh, ideas and truths that are going to spill out in the rest of Acts, all right? And so, so what we want to do this morning is I want to just try to pull those out. I want to kind of show you those themes that have been pressed in here because this, this chapter not only recaps Luke, but it sets the tone moving forward. And it kind of answers the question, what is Acts all about? Well, it's right here. And let me suggest this morning that there are at least four major themes that run throughout the book of Acts that find their seeds and their roots right here in these first 11 verses. So what is Acts about? Well, number one, Acts is about the progressive expansion of the gospel and of the church. Acts is about the progressive expansion of the gospel and the church. Acts is the story of the gospel's progress uh, as it moves out into the world. Um, Look down at verse 8. Verse 8 is a classic verse here. Actually, we'll start at verse 6. 
the disciples met with Jesus. All right, they met together with him in verse 6. And they said, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? The disciples are wondering if this is the time when God's kingdom is going to come in its fullness. And they have a misunderstanding about how that's going to happen. They don't understand that there's going to be a delay, that God's kingdom wasn't going to come right there and then. You know, they were probably typical of Jewish people at that time. And if you had asked your typical Jewish person in Israel on that day, what the Messiah is going to do, they would say, well, the Messiah is going to come and He's going to reestablish the literal, physical kingdom of Israel, just like in the Old Testament in all of its glory. He's going to redo that. But they didn't understand. That wasn't the plan. That, that, that's not going to happen right away. There's a delay. Look at verse 7. Jesus says to them, look, it's not for you to know the times or dates the Father set by His own authority. You know, is this the time? Look, you guys don't, can't know that. God knows when His time to do His plan is. This isn't the time, and you're not going to know the time, which is good for us to remember when people come along and they tell us that they figured out when Jesus is coming back. You know, the proper response when someone tells you that is to roll your eyes in a very dramatic fashion, you know. No, you don't know when He's coming back. Nobody knows that. This is something that the Father knows, and and it's not for us to know those times and dates when Jesus is going to restore the kingdom. The other thing, though, that the disciples misunderstood is not only that that we could know the time, but they also didn't understand, again, that the kingdom of God was going to come through the progressive expansion of the gospel. That's the other thing. Again, they thought it was going to be Israel of old, boom, restarted right there, and they didn't understand, no, God's got such a bigger plan than Israel now that the gospel has come. He's going to include, yes, Jews into the kingdom of God, but also Samaritans, those half-Jew, half-Gentiles, and then the Gentiles as well. And so part of what Acts does is is it shows us these early Jewish Christians wrestling with the fact that God is also bringing Gentiles into the kingdom of God, and they're trying to make sense of this. So is there's this progressive expansion of the kingdom of God. Uh, look, look at uh, verse 8. Verse 8 really is the, the verse. Jesus says, or, uh, yeah, he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you'll be my witnesses where? Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. There's a geographical progression there. So it starts in Jerusalem. Where, where were the disciples when Jesus was talking to them right here in this verse? They were in Jerusalem. So he says, you're going to be my witnesses right here where you are, right now. But then it's going to expand to Judea. So where is Judea? Well, if this is Jerusalem, Judea was the province in which Jerusalem was located. Then where was Samaria? It was the province north of that in Israel. So it's Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. And then where's the ends of the earth? Well, kind of everywhere else, right? It's so like the gospel's going to the ends of the earth. And so, so there's this idea that, that Jesus has given them a mission, and it's to take the gospel out and beyond. That's how God's kingdom will come, not in a dramatic, sudden splash right then, but through the progressive preaching of the gospel, and then when Jesus returns someday. In fact, you see Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth? That, that progression is really a table of contents for the book of Acts. So if you look at the first seven chapters of Acts, chapters 1 through 7, it all takes place where? Jerusalem. 
Chapters 8 and 9 take place, Judea and Samaria. And chapters 10 on take place beyond Samaria to the ends of the earth as the gospel is going out among the Gentile peoples. Until finally, where does the story end in chapter 28? Where are they? They're in Rome. So it goes from Jerusalem to Rome. So the book of Acts is a kind of a travelogue of the gospel, how the gospel moves out into the world person by person, expanding. So as you're reading the book of Acts, understand that you're following a travelogue, not of one individual person, but of the gospel message itself moving out. Now what's cool is, as Christians here in 2014 on the South Shore of Boston, we read this and we know that the gospel's travelogue did not end at Acts chapter 28. It didn't end in Rome, but it continued to spread. There was, uh, you, know, you know, Doubting Thomas, that apostle, he made it down into India. And there are ancient Christian communities in India. Uh, other, other apostles went down into North Africa. Uh, the gospel continued to spread. You, you've heard of Coptic Christians. Uh, they they are ultimately have their ancient roots in the gospel spreading down into uh, Egypt and North Africa. The gospel spread north into Europe and into the British Isles and east into what we would call today Russia. And, and the Orthodox Church has its roots in that ancient spread of the message of Jesus. So the gospel continued to spread beyond Rome and beyond the book of Acts. Uh, and then it, it kind of languished for a while. It wasn't spreading so fast. Uh, but there was a major turning point in the 19th century what's often called the modern missionary movement. The modern missionary movement began with characters like uh, Hudson Taylor, Adoniram Judson, William Carey. You've heard some of those names. And these guys, they said, hey, look, the gospel isn't going to the nations. We need to take it. And they took huge risks, and they started taking the gospel further. And so starting from the 19th century and really continuing unabated till today, there has been this two-century-long resurgence in missions that is still going today. So that, you know, where's the church today? Where's the center of gravity for the church? Well, before then, it, you would say it would be Europe and North America. But now it's, it's South America. It's Central America. It's Sub-Saharan Africa. It's Southeast Asia. You know, if you look at the church today, it's more southern hemisphere than northern hemisphere. It's more eastern hemisphere than western hemisphere. Before that time, the, the, the typical Christian was a white European. Now the typical Christian is brown because the center of gravity for the church has moved because the gospel is moving. And now Christians in those countries are sending missionaries themselves. They're sending some missionaries back to the west, <laughs> You know, the Africans and Latin Americans are sending missionaries to America because we need to hear the gospel afresh. And so God is moving, and and yet there's still more to do. Uh, Though people who study people groups, ever heard of that phrase, people groups? A people group is a group of people who have a a unifying language and sort of uh, cultural customs, and they're kind of identified as this kind of people group. And, and as you look at people groups around the world, what you see is that about 40% of the world's people groups have no indigenous church presence among them who are preaching the gospel. So some of those people groups may be really small. They may just be like, you know, 100,000 people. They may not be millions and millions. But still, 40% of the distinct people groups in the world still haven't heard about Jesus. They don't have a Bible. 
They don't know the message of the gospel. So there's still work to do. But I don't know. This is exciting, isn't it? It means that when we're reading Acts, and we're reading about this progressive expansion of the gospel, this isn't like watching the History Channel. (laughs) It's not like you're reading Acts going, well, that's interesting what happened 2,000 years ago. Huh, kind of fascinating. What's for dinner? You know, it's not... It's not like the History Channel where it's kind of interesting but sort of boring too, but, but not really have anything to do with your life. Like this story never stopped. This story is still ongoing. And when you and I engage with the gospel, when we tell someone about Christ or, or we have that conversation on the airplane where we share a little bit about Jesus with somebody, or we go on a short-term mission trip to some country, or we give money to a missionary who's working among a people who've never heard the, the name of the Lord. That story from Acts is still going. We're part of that same series of events, that same chain reaction of the gospel that's been spread out into the world. And so this is not just the ancient history of the church This is our story. And so it's super relevant because as we read how the gospel went forward, then we know that's how the gospel goes forward, and that's what we need to be doing today. Super helpful. So there it is. That's the mission to the ends of the earth. All right, we should just go then, right? Let's just jump up and get going and get busy and get active, right? No, we need something first. We need something. This mission will fail unless we have something. Jesus didn't tell his disciples, here's the mission, now go. He told his disciples, here's the mission, now wait. Look at verse 4. Do not leave Jerusalem, but what? Wait. Don't go yet. Wait. For what? For the gift my Father promised, which you heard me speak about. Well, what are they waiting for? What's the gift? Verse 5, he tells us, John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So here's the second major theme of Acts. Acts is not only the story of the progressive expansion of the gospel in the church, but it's also the story of the outpouring and empowerment of the Holy Spirit that enables the progressive expansion of the gospel in the church. Without the Holy Spirit... There is no progressive expansion of the gospel. The Holy Spirit guides it, and the Holy Spirit empowers it so that the gospel can go forward. Uh, You you see the emphasis of the Holy Spirit there again in verse 5. He says, hey, you know, don't go wait. You need to wait. If you you don't have the Holy Spirit, you can't do this job. Uh, You see it in verse 8. Look at verse 8. But you will receive what? Power. That's a great word, isn't it? power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you'll be my witnesses. You start talking about the Holy Spirit, and, and people, uh, you know, Christians start being on different sides of things. They start getting into discussions, you know, how can we talk about the Holy Spirit? What about the Holy Spirit? Does that, you know, speaking in tongues, not speaking in tongues, all, all that stuff starts happening with the Holy Spirit. But look, the emphasis here is on the Holy Spirit given for the witness of the church outwards. And we need to remember that. We all need the Holy Spirit. Or otherwise, we can't do this mission. It's impossible. Trying to to be on the mission that Jesus gave the church without the Holy Spirit, it doesn't work. A church trying to to do this mission without the Spirit is like a sailboat with its sail up in a dead calm. 
It's not going anywhere. It's like a, a, a minivan packed for the family vacation and all the junk's in it and all the kids are in it and they're sitting there in the driveway, but there's no gas in the tank. You're not going on the trip. The Holy Spirit is the power and the guidance for this mission. We must have the power of the Holy Spirit. Otherwise, this is, it's a fail before it even starts. A big fail. Why do we need the Holy Spirit? Why is the Holy Spirit so important? Well, can I just suggest three reasons the Holy Spirit's so important? Three reasons that we're going to see here in the book of Acts as it unfolds. Uh, reason number one, here's the first reason. We need the Holy Spirit to open the doors and create the opportunities for the gospel. The Holy Spirit guides us by opening doors like we studied last Sunday. The Holy Spirit's the one who creates the opportunities for the gospel to be preached. Anytime there's an opportunity to talk about Jesus, the Holy Spirit is opening that and, and creating an opening for gospel witness. You'll fe- we'll see this all over Acts, right? How, how, does the, how is the first evangelistic sermon in Acts prompted? How, how does it happen? It's because the Holy Spirit is poured out. And then people get together and they're like, what, what just happened? And Peter says, oh, I'll tell you what just happened. First evangelistic sermon. God works in powerful ways. Or the the apostles will heal somebody by the power of the Holy Spirit, a miraculous healing, and a person who can't walk is suddenly jumping around, and a crowd gathers. Hey, isn't that the guy who, you know, couldn't walk? How how is he healed now? Peter says, well, I'll tell you how he was healed. And he, he preaches, the Holy Spirit opens a door. The Holy Spirit says, set aside Paul and Barnabas to be my missionaries. Paul and Barnabas go out in the mission field, and the Holy Spirit says, don't go there, do go there. And so by creating these opportunities, the Holy Spirit is guiding this mission forward. Uh, You know, the the reason the gospel is going to the ends of the earth is not because the church has some super secret action plan that we've been patiently unfolding for 2,000 years. It's not like these conspiracy movie theories where there's some secret group of Illuminati who are slowly taking over the world with some master plan that they've been executing for millennia. The church isn't like that. It's not like somewhere there's a group of 12 Christians who are like, yes, our plan is working perfectly, you know. Yeah, finally, we've waited, you know, and then the modern missionary movement come, which we planned for. You know, the church, you know, the church is just being the church. The church can barely hold itself together sometimes. God works through the church. God works in spite of the church. But it's the Holy Spirit who's orchestrating this whole thing. He's the one who's giving the power and the guidance and the direction. And we're just, you know, and we'll see this in Acts. The Holy Spirit's creating opportunities. And so we need the Spirit to open the doors. The second reason we need the Holy Spirit, if we're going to be about this mission of God to advance the gospel, the second reason we need the Holy Spirit is to open our mouths. Not just open doors, but open mouths. We talked about this last Sunday. We need courage. We need boldness. We're cowardly. We're afraid. We don't know what to say. We're just ordinary Joe Schmoes. And, and we're, what? We're supposed to go to, the, to all the ends of the earth? Are you kidding me? Us? Really? I'm nobody. You couldn't use me. But we need the Holy Spirit to not only open a door, but when the door is open, to speak. and To speak the name of Jesus. To invite someone to read the Bible one-on-one. To talk about the Lord. And God gives power to do that. I love Acts chapter 4. We'll get there in um, a couple years. But look at Acts chapter 4, where the apostles are praying. 
They've just been threatened. They've just had some uh, imprisonment and some threats. And you might think, well, this is the time to kind of ease up on the gospel. Pull back a little bit. Don't make enemies with the culture around you. But, oh, they, they didn't ease up. They just went at it even harder. And look what they pray. Look down at verse 29. This is what they pray to the Lord after they've been imprisoned. The church gets together and prays, Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. You know, open our mouths. Give us the guts to keep speaking about Jesus. And then, you know, create opportunities, verse 30. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And after they prayed, what happened? The place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, resulting in the fact that they spoke the Word of God boldly. So the Holy Spirit filled them and gave them boldness to keep speaking and and to go out there and be even more clear about Jesus and what He's done. So we need that because we're just ordinary people. But that's the story of the book of Acts, right? It's about ordinary people within an extraordinary power. Um, David Plath was, uh, he's a a pastor, uh, a big missions advocate. If you've never heard David Plath speak, I mean, go home, Google David Plath sermon. I don't care which one, listen. Whatever comes up, listen to it. Really great preacher, just on fire for God. Uh, He'll totally get you uh, excited for evangelism and missions and for the glory of God. But anyway, uh, David Plath was in Boston a couple weeks ago, and he did an overview of the whole book of Acts. And his his sort of tagline for the whole sermon was, ordinary people, extraordinary power. That's the book of Acts. Ordinary people, fishermen, nobodies, Joe Schmoes, extraordinary power. We often think that if God is going to reach the world, he needs to do it through extraordinary people. You know, like, you know, God, you know what would really save America is if a couple of A-list actors would get saved. Like, then people would come to Jesus in droves. Because then they'd be like, oh, wow, that person is a Christian. Christianity must be cool since an A-list Hollywood actor. Oh, so maybe I'll be a Christian because it's legitimate. You know, we think that, right? And we hear about some famous or important person or a sports star become a Christian. We kind of glom onto them. And we sort of hope that that person being a Christian is what's going to turn the corner. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm happy when anyone comes to know Christian, whether they're a nobody or a great famous person. I'm glad when famous people use their platform to talk about Jesus. That's great. But that is the exception. The way God typically works is through nobodies, ordinary people with extraordinary power. That's how the gospel is spreading in South America, in Southeast Asia, in Sub-Saharan Africa, it's not because the, you know, the most famous person in Bollywood, uh, actor, became a Christian. It's because regular people in India are going out there and talking about Jesus. Nobodies, but clothed with extraordinary power from on high. That's how God is working in the world. And so we need the Holy Spirit to open doors, to open our mouths. And then finally, just one more, we need the Holy Spirit to open people's hearts. To receive the message. Because we can be as persuasive, clever, smart as we want. We, we could be the best arguer about Jesus. We could give the best 
logical arguments for the gospel. We could, we could out-argue the smartest atheist in the world. We, we, we could make the gospel seem cool and trendy and hip and sexy. But no matter how we package it, how we frame it, if the Holy Spirit isn't opening someone's heart, they will never believe. The Holy Spirit is the one who opens the heart and gives faith. Look at uh, Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16. Hopefully we'll get here before I retire. Uh, Acts chapter 16 in Philippi. So this is when Paul was in Philippi. Looks it down at verse 13. Acts chapter 16, verse 13. This is uh, p- part of the travel log when now the gospel is going to the ends of the earth. And he's in Philippi, which is in northeastern Greece. I actually got to go to the ancient city of Philippi, the, the ruins. So cool. Um, and, uh, but, but here's the story, verse 13. On the Sabbath, Paul, here's in Philippi, he says, We went outside the city gate to the river. I got to see that river uh, where we expected to find a place of prayer. And we sat down and began to speak to the women who gathered there. One of those listening was a woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira, who was also a worshiper of God. That's a technical phrase to mean a Gentile who's converted to, Ju- to Judaism. The Lord, what? Opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. God has to open the heart. There is an open opportunity, people gathering for worship. Paul opened his mouth and spoke, but the Holy Spirit had to open Lydia's heart so that she could be saved. The Bible makes it really clear that our spiritual condition without Jesus and without the help of the Holy Spirit is totally desperate. Think about the images the Bible uses to describe us without Jesus. It calls us spiritually dead. That's an image. It calls us uh, spiritually blind. It says that we're spiritually deaf. It says that we're enslaved to the power of darkness. So for my heart to want God and for my heart to respond to Jesus, I need the Spirit to unlock those chains. I need Him to make me alive. I need Him to open my eyes, to unclog my ears, to release the bonds of slavery. And so, so yes, I believe in Jesus. Yes, I, I came to believe in God. But why did I come to believe in God? It's because God first opened my heart and gave me that wonderful gift of faith. And so it's God's sovereign power that saves people, even as we believe. It's His gift of grace inside of us that helps us to believe and frees us to believe. So we need the Holy Spirit. This mission is, it's a fail unless we have the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit to give us open doors and open mouths and open up hearts. So we need to start with prayer. You know, if if you're thinking about this engaged topic, how you could tell others about Christ. Do you know where you start? Praying. Pray. Lord, I need help. God, I don't know where to start. Give me an open door. Lord, help me to speak. Lord, open so-and-so's heart. God, you just need to do this. I need power from on high. That's a prayer we need to pray regularly before we start engaging. That's the first step of engaging is to be devoted to prayer because we need, we need the Holy Spirit. So those are the first two themes, the progressive expansion of the gospel to the ends of the earth through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit who directs and empowers and guides that outward expansion, right? But who is sending the Holy Spirit? Where is that coming from? 
And that leads us to the third major theme of Acts, which is Jesus Himself. That Jesus is the one sending the Holy Spirit and orchestrating all this. You say, Jesus? I thought, he was, I thought that was the book of Luke. Isn't the book of Luke about Jesus and the book of Acts about the Holy Spirit? No, it's not that simple. Jesus never leaves the picture. I mean, he's, in the book of Luke, it's all about Jesus' life and his death on the cross and the resurrection comes at the end. But in the book of Acts, he's now risen. He's alive and he's, he's acting and leading and guiding. The book of Acts is very much about Jesus. But it's the risen Jesus, the reigning Jesus, the returning Jesus. It's Jesus exalted, the risen Jesus, the reigning Jesus, and the returning Jesus. So it's the outward expansion of the gospel through the power of the Holy Spirit sent by the risen and reigning and returning Jesus. You see that right here in the passage. Look at, back at Acts chapter 1, verse 1. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day He was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit. Verse 3, after His sufferings, He showed Himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that He was alive. You know, we worship a risen Christ. Jesus is the only person who's ever come back from the dead. He's alive. He's the Son of God. And, and so the book of Acts is very much about a risen Jesus. All the preaching is about the risen Jesus. Uh, Jesus himself is risen, and, and you'll see he, he speaks and he intervenes in the book of Acts again and again. Um, not only is Jesus risen, though, he's also reigning. He's the reigning Jesus. It's not just that he's alive, but he's the Lord and the King, and he's overruling and orchestrating and sending his Spirit. Yes, the Holy Spirit is at work, but the Holy Spirit is governed and comes from Jesus and flows into the world and into the church. You know, look at the end of Acts chapter 1. So, so here's that final scene where Jesus goes back up into heaven. I love that scene, verse 9. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid them from their sight. They're looking up intently in the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Presumably these are angels. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? It's kind of a funny question, isn't it? Um, Because Jesus just flew up in the sky. That's why I'm looking in the sky, as I don't usually see people fly up in the sky. What? They're like, wow, there goes Jesus. Suddenly these two angels are there. They're like, what are you doing? Why are you looking into heaven? Why are you looking up? This same Jesus who was taken up into heaven, he'll come back the same way you've seen him go up into heaven. You know, where did Jesus go? Did he just go up in the sky and then past the moon and then up past Mars and then out past Saturn? And then is he like the Voyager, you know, spaceship that just kind of keeps going out into outer space? Like, where did he go? He went into the presence of God, into heaven, which, as they would have understood, it was up. So he was conveying to them he's gone into the presence of God. And the reason he's in heaven is that he's now reigning and ruling in heaven. That Jesus is the King. He's the Lord. And so one of the things the apostles are going to preach over and over is that the risen Jesus is the reigning Jesus. That He's the King. For instance, go to Acts chapter 2. Let me just show you this real quick. The progressive expansion of the Gospel. The empowerment of the Holy Spirit who directs and guides. And then the risen, reigning, and returning Jesus. 
you see that. Um, so, so here in Acts chapter 2, which we'll get to soon, uh, this is the first sermon that was preached by the church after Jesus rose from the dead. And, and they're really clear about Jesus. Look at verse uh, 32. Peter says, God raised this Jesus to life, risen. We're all witnesses to the fact. Exalted to the right hand of God, reigning. He has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see in her here. For David did not ascend to heaven, yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, sit in my right hand till I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. So that's where Jesus is, reigning at the right hand of God in authority. And then the conclusion to the sermon. Therefore... Let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. He's in charge. He's reigning. And then, of course, someday he's returning. Jesus is coming back. That's what the angel said. He's coming back. And so this is the Jesus of the book of Acts, a risen, reigning, and returning Jesus. So again, this idea that, well, Luke was about Jesus, but Acts is about the Holy Spirit. That's not true. Acts is about Jesus too. What an exciting book to learn about Jesus. So if you're kind of new to the faith, or you're kind of new to Christianity, or you have questions, or maybe you're, you're still trying to figure this out and understand who Jesus is, this is a great book for you to study because you're really going to learn a lot about Jesus. Jesus as He is now, risen and reigning and ruling. It's so exciting. I, I love this idea of the risen Jesus because you know what that means for me as a Christian? It means that He's alive and I can have a relationship with Him because He's still alive and He's real and He's at work in this world. So what a great book for us to study, to, to get close to Jesus and to know Him more and to worship Him and to, and to answer questions about who He is and what He's done because Jesus is alive and He's alive today. He's still alive. He's still reigning. He's still coming back someday. And it's through the risen Jesus that the powerful Holy Spirit is being poured out to guide and direct. And because of that, the church and the gospel are moving forward. And we're a part of that whole story. But there's one more theme, and I'll close with this one. One more little theme tucked in here that's going to get teased out throughout the book of Acts. So number one, the progressive expansion of the gospel. Number two, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Number three, the risen, reigning, and returning Jesus who directs and guides it all. But all of this, number four, all of this is happening because of the perfect plan of the faithful Father. So, so around it and behind it and underneath it all is God the Father executing His plan for the ages to save a people for himself. The reason the gospel is going forward and the reason the Holy Spirit is given and the reason Jesus is reigning is because God the Father has planned all of this. And his plan is unstoppable. Again, look at verse 4 of Acts chapter 1. Do not leave Jerusalem, Jesus says, but wait for the gift my Father promised. And we know the gift is the Holy Spirit. But when did the Father promise the Holy Spirit? When is that promise made? In the Old Testament. A lot of places. We'll study more about that. In fact, all of the things happening in the book of Acts, 
the progressive expanse of the gospel, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, Jesus risen, reigning, and ruling, is all promises from the Old Testament unfolding today. And, and so the book of Acts, is, it's a New Testament book, right? But when we study this book, we're going to be studying a lot of Old Testament because the Old Testament is referenced a lot in Acts because that's where God made promises. And then in the New Testament in Acts, that's where He keeps His promises. Promises made and promises kept. So, so that one of the major themes in Acts is that everything that's happening, everything that's happening is because this was God's great plan from before time to rescue a people for Himself. This is God's plan. And so as we study the book of Acts, we're going to encounter again and again the sovereignty of God. The sovereignty of God is huge in the book of Acts because ultimately it's God working His purposes together. You know, people sometimes wonder, they look at the world and they say, what's going on in the world? Is God even there? It seems out of control. God's in control, but He's doing something. He's focused on saving a people for Himself. That's at the center of God's focus. You know, if if you look at the newspapers or go on your favorite news website and you say, what are the big headlines this week? You know, what's important in the world today based on the news headlines? Well, you'd say, okay, the the Alibaba IPO, that's a pretty big deal. Uh, Scottish independence vote. You know, people are really fired up about that. I I don't understand, but people are really into that drama. But that was a big deal. Maybe it's Justin Bieber's latest arrest. I mean, who knows? Whatever is this, the big deal of the day that everyone's focused on, everyone's saying, this is what's important. This is what is headline news. But I wonder if, if up in heaven, what if there was a newspaper? You know, the Heavenly Gazette or the, I don't know, Celestial Post or something. <laughs> and, uh, and, and it had the big news from heaven's perspective of the day. You know? I mean, would it talk about the Alibaba IPO? Maybe, probably would be like in, you know, the fourth section, back page, little print. I don't know. You know, it would probably be on the front page headline. You know? Bob Smith in, you know, Tallahassee has coffee with neighbor, shares Jesus, neighbor is saved. That would be the headline. Jesus said, when one sinner repents, all the angels in heaven rejoice. Because, okay, you know, all these big news things that we all get worked up about, but, but at the center of God's purposes is to save a people for himself. And so when, when we are engaged with the gospel, we're engaging in the central thing that God is all focused on and in accomplishing in this world. This is the exciting news of heaven, that God is at work in the world through ordinary people, extraordinary power, pointing people to the risen, reigning Christ, and through that, other ordinary people are coming to know God. This is the big thing that's happening. And I pray that as we study the book of Acts, we'll get fired up about that. I'm just praying that Acts will help flip our, our perception of what's important in reality and what God is doing in the world. And so it continues today. Even here in 2014, God is still introducing Himself to people through the name of Jesus through people sharing God's Word. It's still happening today. And it shall continue, and it shall continue. As Jesus said, this gospel of the kingdom 
must be preached to all peoples as a testimony to all nations. And then, and then, the end will come. Let's pray. Oh Lord, who's ever heard of a God like you who would seek and save the lost? Who's ever heard of a God like you who is executing an unstoppable plan to introduce yourself to people, to forgive people, to reconcile people to yourself? Who's ever heard of a God like you who took up the sins of your people on a cross? Lord, we worship you, we love you. Thank you that you saved us. Thank you that you're saving us. Thank you for your work in our lives. And God, we just pray that we would see the world with your eyes. We would see the world with gospel priorities. God, we we pray that, that we would be stirred and moved by Jesus and that we would be passionate to introduce other people to this Jesus whom we're coming to know and to love. And so God, would you work in our hearts as a church? Would you recalibrate our priorities and recalibrate what excites us and what moves us, Lord? Help us to see the glory of Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, that you're alive, that you're hearing our prayers right now. We pray that we would walk with you this week, that we would commune with you and be close to you. And Lord, I do pray for people we know and love who don't know you, that Jesus, you would use our fumbling words to be the electrical wire through which the Holy Spirit's electricity runs and turns the light bulb on in their soul. Oh God, would you save people for yourself, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.